Hello and welcome to the Right to Sorrible podcast, as truthful as resources permit. Jazza, have you been denied banking services on account of your extremist political beliefs? No, but I have. When I moved to um, New York, where I live now, it is absolutely, it's next to impossible to be able to open up a bank account as an immigrant without a credit score, which I do not, well, I have a credit score in the UK, but I don't have a credit score in the US and so they were like mm, sorry um, uh, and ended up like being able to kind of like through my employer basically my employer was like we are paying them money here like we will underwrite them um, uh, but banking banks are shit I think American banks are sort of less widely used than British banks there's a lot more unbanked people in the US um, it is just unbanked. unbanked. The fact that that is a word that is now part of our vernacular. I'd ne- I genuinely, before the story that we are going to talk about, I'd never really thought about like bank access to banking and banking equity and all of that kind of stuff. Wild that Nigel Farage has once again moved the over to window. <laughs> Long-time listeners will remember that I used to, or maybe won't remember. I used to write about payments regulation for a living, so I'm I'm familiar with all the discussions about being unbanked or banked and banking access. Um, He's he really is that boring, dear listener. <laughs> um, so, do you want to give us a little bit of um, background, Jimmy? What are we What are we talking about then today? One of them is about getting banked, which now feels like a, do- a naughty word. If you're if you're getting banked, well, you know, merchant banker, famously. No, that yeah, is yeah. actually that's one hundred percent where my brain is going. Okay, glad we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is the, the news that has been has been running for a whole month, and uh, we obviously haven't recorded a, a podcast since this uh, story started breaking. I don't think, um, but it's a a scandal where, or a, a supposed scandal, I suppose, where Nigel Farage was. Um, you know, lost access to his bank account at Coots, which is a, a rich person's bank. I mean, I think, the, I think the king banks. It's where there. famously the queen banked, right? I, yeah, I guess so. That, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Given um, she doesn't king... bank there anymore, though, because she's dead. Yes, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm glad we're keeping up to date with the the latest goings on in the royal family. Um, but Nigel Farage mm-hmm. lost his account, and initially the the story was um, or. Or Coots and the its uh, its kind of parent company NatWest said that this was because he he didn't have enough money basically. Um, but as the well, it was like leaked to the BBC that it was because he didn't have any money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, get, money. we'll get into all the details yeah. as we go on. But it eventually transpired that Messy. he'd he'd actually been um, he'd been cut off from the bank because his his political views were a bit unpleasant, and Coots wasn't about that. It wanted to foster an inclusive environment, and Nigel Farage was not on board with the inclusivity agenda. So they cut him off. And, the, you know, for reasons we will no doubt go into, this scandal has now claimed the it's claimed two people's jobs. Uh, the CEO of NatWest, which, as I said, is the, the parent company of Coots, uh, was forced to resign because she leaked information about Nigel Farage. And also, just in the last two days, the head of Coots Bank itself has resigned uh, i'm i'm slightly less clear as to why he's resigned um but it's you know as 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 jazza says this is uh, another and a bit of a coup for farage basically he's managed to push himself to the forefront of the he's news he's just had a lovely time collecting scalps hasn't he really i mean i've enjoyed watching him to be honest with you um i uh, 
you know, <laughs> well, whatever you think. I think most people who dislike Nigel Farage are probably not the most pro-finance people. I think there's probably a, a fair amount of overlap between those views. So I think even if you dislike Farage, you could probably have enjoyed what he's done to, to you know, the banking question. Uh, but we, we'll go into details of, you know, what this means, mm-hmm. implications, all that sort of thing. What's the second thing we're going to talk about, Jazza? Oh, the... Uh... Uh, you is it Ulez or Ulez? I think it's Ulez. No, Ulez. If you want to, <laughs> I mean that that's relevant to the the third topic we're going to talk about. But I think you're jumping ahead of yourself at this point. Sure. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I'm I've been sitting in New York where I live, and I'm really really warm. Um. Uh, half of Europe is on fire. Uh, air quality is really shit. Uh. Uh, it turns out all of them scientists who were talking about like the world becoming more and more difficult for us to live in, they weren't being about the bush. It's true. It's real. It's actually happening. Um, and it's happening before our very eyes. It's a little bit worrying because we just had the by-elections in Uxbridge, which was Boris Johnson's old seat. And it seems like the Conservatives won by opposing Ulez Ulez. Uh, which is the expansion of the ultra-low emission zone, which restricts the types of cars that can be driven on the road in parts of London. It doesn't, well, it it is, doesn't quite restrict. It incentivizes you to, to get a new car that is less polluting. Otherwise, you have to pay a charge. So it doesn't, sure. it doesn't yes, actually ban polluting correct. cars from the road. Or more polluting correct. cars, I should say. Um, uh, uh, but the, result, the, the, the desired result is to have fewer... Um, uh, uh, fewer old cars and therefore worse polluting cars on the road Um, uh, there's been a lot of chatter about maybe this is going to be the way that the Tories win the next election by being um, uh, uh, by saying how terrible it is that we have restrictions that are trying to make our air quality and the climate less on fire Um, uh, uh, but I feel like at least in the UK and Europe this is this is now really it is very very fringe for people to be against uh, uh, climate policy or pro-climate policy like you, Les. Like, 51% of Londoners are meant to back it. Is it, um, is it that low? That doesn't seem particularly high. Uh, but only 27% um, uh, are against it. Okay. So, so then like, you have all of the, the not-nos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, and we're going to talk about um, like whether or not this attempt at maybe politicizing kind of some of these environmental issues may work for the Tories and also um just how sweaty I am (laughs) all of that to look forward to and Mm -hmm. for the third topic uh we are going to be talking about the 1975 which is an unusual cultural interlude for us Jazzy are you a big fan of the (laughs) 1975 yeah huge fan huge fan um, yeah. Well, you're no doubt. I can name. I can name three songs. I mean, I, I get the impression, uh, looking at their song list, that if you just throw together some standard pop song words, you'll probably probably get a name. I think. Mm-hmm. I think one of their songs is "I Will Love You" or, or something like that. Wow. I don't know. Wow. Um, Amazing. Um, but the 1975 earlier this month, uh, we're out in Malaysia as uh, you know, doing a gig as part of the Good Vibes Festival. And uh, Matty Healy, who's the lead singer of the band, put out some bad vibes when he started complaining <laughs> about the 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, sta- started complaining about the uh, Malaysia's approach to uh, homosexuality and in particular the fact that there is a, a ban on sodomy which carries a potential imprisonment sentence of 20 years. Mm-hmm. And, one, uh, of the, one of the lovely overhangs of colonialism there for you, my friends. Yeah, somewhat, although it's been 60 years, so I, I feel like if they wanted to change it, they've, they've had plenty of time. Um, and it was the it was the British Empire that uh, that imposed the that rule. That's what Jazz is alluding to there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, after so Healy went on a, a bit of a rant about the uh, you know the LGBT policies in Malaysia. Uh, his bassist then kissed him. Uh, it, it's reported in the press that Healy kissed the bassist, and it was mutual. But I, I feel like the bassist initiated, having seen the video. Um, was there tongue? It was it was quite vigorous. I would say the lighting mm. was not tip-top in the video, so it's a little bit difficult to tell. But oh, I, I, I think probably would be my guess. It was, yeah. it was a, it was a passionate just a little kiss. sneak. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't just you know, it wasn't just a peck on the lips. They, they were, they were going for it. Um, mm. And you know, after this happened, uh, the 1975, about half an hour after this incident, were had to cut short their set. Um, they have been banned from coming back to Malaysia. Um, and the festival in question was shut down by the government as well, uh, much to the dismay of many of the bands and vendors and other people involved in the festival that still wanted it to go on. Um, and mm-hmm. there's been a fair amount of backlash from the LGBT community in Malaysia, or LGBT activists, I should say, are not very impressed with Healy's behaviour. So we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about you know, whether it was good or bad. I, I don't know what Jazz's view is on this, but... Um, yeah, we'll be discussing. Oh, stay tuned to find out. Exactly, exactly. Should we play some music, talk about the Patreon account, and get on with it? <laughs> get on with it. Yeah, all right. All right. If you like what we're doing at the Brightest Honourable Podcast, you can access bonus segments by subscribing to our Patreon feed. Head over to patreon.com forward slash rightdishonourable or just put the relevant search terms into Google. This week we'll be discussing Elon Musk's mad decision to rebrand Twitter as the 24th letter of the alphabet, X, as well as what social networks we're still using to discuss politics and other things. Thanks to our current patrons, Alice L, Andrew Kilpatrick, Archie, David Preston, Jeva Cumming, Gia Carney, Ilona Donkina, John O, Marlene, Matt, Michael Costa, Michael Markman, Nick, Taha Khan, Theo, and Ubo Noij. So, Jimmy, hello, hi. Um, hello. If, if you were to suppose how Navarra Media, famed left-wing institution of British digital press, mm. uh, covered this story where... They were, you'd think on the face of it, they'd be very confused, right? Because Nigel Farage, an enemy, mm. bad guy, uh, a foil for them. Um, and, uh, but he was taking down another enemy, bankers. <laughs> um, how do you think, like, like you're, you're seeing two of your, two of your biggest foils battling it out and one of them wins how do you think navarro media framed this story i suppose i would i would question the extent to which farage has won i mean he's obviously he, he's he's managed to cause the resignation of the natwest ceo and also the coot ceo as well 
so in that sense he's won but he he still lost his accounts um and I, I don't i'm not aware that you know despite everything that's gone on i don't think coots have actually offered to reopen an account for him so he's going to have to wasn't he offered sorry you can't have a coots account anymore but you can have a normal netwest account yeah yeah that that's what happened so but that that's just a it's a peasant's bank account which actually out. really does not mean that he was debanked no i don't think I don't think that is the case. Um, Which is the thing... This is what I don't really understand about the story, because it seems just like Nigel Farage throws his toys out the pan after being denied access to a uh, to the poshest bank in the world. By the way, Navarra Media framed it hmm. as... Um, it's only a matter of time before they start debanking people on the left... Because obviously it's fine if you debank people who have right-wing views. So were they, were they, in saying that, you know, this could lead to people on the left being debanked, were they saying that Nigel Farage shouldn't have been debanked? No, of course they didn't. Oh, so, so they were in favour of bad things happening to Nigel Farage, they just didn't want those same things happening to people they liked? Yes, correct. Okay, I mean, to be yeah, fair... Yeah, classic Navarra. That, well, that, that's just everyone's view in politics, really, isn't it? No, but nobody really wants the other side to have nice things, so... No, they are they are the worst. <laughs> I don't think Navarra media are the worst. Um, no, they're, start... they're not, but I do, I do enjoy... I do enjoy hate-watching them every now and again. Um, but yeah, I, I... I think that the premise of the story isn't, isn't actually really... True. I don't think that Nigel Farage was technically, from what I can see, debanked. He was refused the ability to bank with a particular brand under the umbrella of under the NatWest mm. uh, family family of companies. I suppose um, you could say he was he was he denied access to certain financial products because there must be. I mean, I'm guessing if you own a Coots bank account. Of, of mm-hmm. various sorts it comes with like certain fees and stuff and uh, i mean yeah. uh, as as we know you had you had to have was it a million pounds uh with them or you had yeah, to you've have, got to have a million pound cash uh or there was some other there, there was some other criteria you can meet but it's, essentially you had to be doing quite a substantial amount of business with them in order to qualify um so yeah i mean he he, he lost access to that um you know those financial products but seemingly so I've struggled to exactly get the balance of this because events have kind of overtaken the the specifics of this story. But obviously there was a dossier prepared about him and the reputational risk that he posed to Coots. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is the problem, right? Yes. Like the fact that there seems to have been... The, the, the fact... He was initially told that it was because he didn't have sufficient funds. And it turns out that that um, was not the only thing that was considered his political views were also considered he um asked for a it's not a freedom of information request because those are only governmental but like an equivalent of that in banking yes yeah um uh and he found the notes that said oh it's because nigel farage is a bit of a twat well i i think there was a committee report which um i mean it was it was quite unflattering towards him although i from what from my reading of their, you know, of their notes on him and the various things that he said and done over the past few years, there was there was little there that I thought was particularly unfair um, in terms of their description and analysis of his politics. Uh, but I think they they I think they recommended that his accounts be wound down at a appropriate juncture. 
um i.e so he had he had like a, a mortgage that was elapsing around you know earlier this year and i think it was it was that that actually kind of triggered them to say oh we're going to close your account because and it, it does seem partly that he wasn't meeting the financial requirements but i think he said that he's not met the financial requirements for quite some time and they've still kept his accounts open up until this point um so it seems to have been both to some degree it was it was true that he wasn't doing enough business with them and it was true that they considered him a reputational risk obviously the problem was that natwest lied and they said that it was purely the the monetary side of things rather than the reputational side of things and eventually came unstuck when you know it was it was proved that they were lying and it's clear that this is actually this is also a problem they were um off of the back of this and heaven forbid i say that nigel farage has done a good thing but the a number of people there've been a number of people who have talked about how they have been um debanked um or refused financial services uh, and therefore really struggle to be able to function in society um either because of kind of like uh, press reports about them or anything along those lines and we've also heard that Gina Miller I think that this is also somewhat different and a little bit conflated but Gina Miller's um uh, political party was also denied access or is being is being removed from Monzo which is a digital n- no branch bank I, I, I because bank with Monzo. I, I think they're quite I also bank with Monzo yeah um but they had a policy of not providing bank accounts to political parties uh but yet her um uh, truth and justice isn't true, true and fair party? party true and fair i think truth and justice so is that is truth that, and is justice, that i think of a nazi <laughs> i think it's the um it's the polish right wing it is the polish um, I, sorry i, I think calling them nazi not <laughs> allegedly nazis allegedly i think nazis. i i think a lot of polish people would would take some exception that to is, that characterization that is a really that is a really fair point i i retract that statement um but the I, I don't know. I think some of the, like, there's a little bit of irony of these rich people going around saying that I'm being debanked and they're not actually being debanked, but there does seem to be a problem of political ideology and affiliation being considered and whether or not people have access to bank accounts. But um, I don't think we have the same problem with people not you know normal people not getting access to banking services that might you know I, as as far as i remember was more the case in the us and certainly would be the case in other countries um i think we are we're generally pretty good about um providing people with banking services i mean for one example in the us if you've got um i think they call it a checking account but we call it a current account you generally speaking you're charged to use those in the us but in the uk um you're not charged for those and i, I think that's a legal requirement you you had to that the bank has to offer current accounts for free basically so anyone you know anyone who needs it can actually store money there i mean th- there are problems with like for instance um homeless people or people who don't have a fixed address often struggle to get bank accounts because you, you usually need mm-hmm. a fixed address and i, I think shelter and other homeless charities have have campaigned around that issue for quite a few years um so yeah it's not i mean you you are right that um various stories have come out in the wake of the farage scandal about people about people not being able to access bank accounts but they seem to be rarer 
circumstances and more unusual circumstances like the Gina Miller thing it says here that um that Monzo said that it generally doesn't allow as you said as you were saying it doesn't do accounts for political parties and it made a mistake mm-hmm. in opening one for her um I mean, I I guess possibly if you're trying to open a business account, um, it might be it's probably more difficult to actually find somewhere to be banked. I think that that seems mm-hmm. to be a problem. I guess because the requirements are more stringent and and so on. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, some of the stories that are coming out are interesting. But I think to go back to Nigel Farage's situation in particular. It wasn't the case that he was going to completely lose access to banking services. He he would he'd still be able to get a mortgage and open a personal bank account and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that he he'd been booted out of this one particular institution. Um, so is this a bit of a non-story that we've been talking about for the last two weeks? I don't... and that has somehow managed to mean that two heads of two banking brands have lost their jobs because Nigel Farage had a bit of a hissy fit. Well, so the That's Alison, kind of scary. Well, the, the Alison Rose, so she was the NatWest CEO. The, the reason she, she lost her job is that she was sat next to this BBC journalist, Simon Jack, and it's not entirely clear what was said because... She leaked information. Really... So she, she apparently said... That, well, um, well, okay, okay. Uh, I, I don't think it's go, confirmed go that she leaked information. I, 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 I think that, I mean, her position, at least as, as far as I read it, was that um, she was asked the question by the BBC journalist and she gave a kind of boilerplate answer, you know, basically saying we would, you know, we would close down accounts if somebody wasn't meeting the financial requirements, you know, to keep them open. Mm-hmm. And that the, the BBC journalist interpreted that as confirmation that that was true of Nigel Farage um it's you know if if that's the case then that kind of puts the blame more on uh the journal the BBC journalist but I, I think other people think that she was probably more explicit and that actually she discussed Nigel Farage's account directly um but I, mm-hmm. I from what I've read it's not entirely clear what she said but you know she as you say she lost her job because she had an inappropriate discussion with a journalist about the Nigel Farage story and was was found out to have had that discussion, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Or do you have a different so interpretation? Jimmy, what the f- no, so Jimmy, what the <laughs> fuck is the story here? Well, she sh- she should. I feel like have... everything's being conflated. <laughs> well, she shouldn't have had a discussion with a journalist about Nigel Farage's account because there is a there's an expectation of I think there's a legal requirement of client confidentiality uh, in those instances. I, I think she was foolish to have any kind of chat with this journalist unless it was just uh-huh. a, unless she just gave a very bland middle of the road answer you know the sort of thing where you know there's there's something going on you email a, a company and their PR department sends back just a really nothing statement which just sort of says we don't you know we don't comment on individual cases this is our general policy and and leaves you to to work out the rest yourself um mm-hmm. I mean I, I think the so the the Coots guy said that he resigned over the general handling of the Nigel Farage affair. Um, and I I think the fact that NatWest initially indicated it was purely a financial thing. And then, it you know, this, this dossier came out that, you know, because Nigel Farage requested information about himself. And it emerged that they did have these reputational concerns. I mean, that obviously was just really cat candid. And, and the bank should have known that he was likely to try and get that information about himself. I mean, Nigel Farage is not a stupid guy and he 
Yeah, he's managed to spin this into a story where he sa- he looks like Robin Hood, doesn't he? Yeah, I, I guess so. But he's, <laughs> I, mean, I think in terms of, the irony is that he's, you know, fundamentally he's a Thatcherite. And one of the big things that Thatcher did was unleash the Big Bang on the city of London and, uh, you know, go a long way to deregulating is maybe not quite the, quite the right word, but they certainly changed a lot of the regulations around how finance works in this country. And they they did let the market rip is is the phrase that's often used so it's not like Nigel Farage is a big fan of financial regulation put it that way yeah I don't I don't know I the more I kind of like read about this story the more confused I was as to kind of like what the actual problem was and the more it just felt like Nigel Farage again being really really clever about being able to position himself in a particular way and paint himself in a particular way and be the media um, and and spin that kind of a narrative around himself. I mean, he's yeah, he's done a very very good job uh, of doing that. What you just described, um, I suppose personally, you I, you've not explicitly said what you think about this, but I'm I don't think that I don't think it's like a human right to have access to luxury banking services. I I think there's a... Luxury banking services, no, I agree. But general banking services, absolutely. Like, it it would be a problem if people were routinely being, you know, restricted access to banking services because because of banking and diversity and inclusion policies or, or what have you. Like, the... Even if somebody has pretty, you know, views that generally people find unsavory whatever they might might be it is really important that they still have access to base you know the basic nuts and bolts of, of being being able to live and function in a modern society and one of one of those things is having access to a bank but that, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be the 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 fundamental issue here in a way because it is a luxury banking service and if if i mean uh, i don't know i don't know who coots other clients are but i i think they probably do work with people that are slightly more problematic than Nigel Farage or they they will offer services to them but Nigel Farage obviously has a particular profile in the UK and perhaps that's why mm-hmm. they decided he was more of a liability than some of their other clients I don't know but in, in a way I don't have a problem with them refusing to give him banking services or, or anyone because I think if you're a luxury bank you yeah he, wa- he wasn't really being debanked he was being denied a brand like he was offered yeah, yeah. a normal NatWest account, he was not. Uh, like I think that the the whole framing of him being debanked is quite disin. Nigel Farage disingenuous, never. Um, and the think... and the way that you talk about it, it seems like these cases of people not having access to banking services is incredibly rare. So what the fuck have we been talking about for the last two weeks? I think there are there are things that have there are stories that have come out of um, there was a. For example, there was the ex-wife of a Russian banker who apparently was struggling to get access to um, to banking services because she had been designated a politically exposed person, uh, which is a kind of technical term for anyone who's involved in politics and is seen as a greater risk of like money laundering or other financial crime, corruption, that sort of thing. And th- there are lots and lots of stories of people who are designated as a, as a PEP who uh, who struggle to get banking services and that that's just true that's not just true in the uk that's in many other territories as well so those are stories but 
those are stories that affect a select group of people and i'm not saying that they're totally trivial but it's not quite the same as um it's it's not a widespread problem for the average person is 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 what i would say um yeah i i think i don't i i don't think i was i'm sort of surprised i brought myself to this conclusion but yeah it does seem like a bit of an overworked story notwithstanding that it's brought to light other stories of people you know being denied access to banks which are probably more legitimate concerns i think this is so worrying about the amount of power that he has to be able to completely shift everything that we talk about in the uk by just making a bit of a fuss the more like after having this conversation i am i am pretty convinced that this is a bit of a sure people click on it whatever (laughs) i don't know man it just makes me it 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 worries me that one person can be that influential um because i feel like this we've been talking about something that isn't actually a problem um shall we pivot to something that actually is a problem yeah um how hot is it in the uk right now it's quite muggy i don't i think the (laughs) so i keep reading that july is going to be the hottest july on record and actually i think june was hotter in the uk it certainly felt hotter. Um, maybe my brain's just been scrambled, but it's been quite rainy in London for the past couple of weeks. Like on and off, it's been quite muggy. But June was actually like quite searing heat in at many points in time. So it's it's to answer your question, it's not too bad here right now. But uh, I understand things are a bit toaster in New York. It's incredibly muggy. Um, it's going to reach a high of like thirty eight today, which. I'm not built for Jimmy. I'm built for twenty degrees and overcast. <laughs> you did that. Uh, was it twenty three and me? You did that test and came back mostly North European in terms of your yeah ninety nine point six percent white. So really, you should be just hanging out in in Norway or something and just. I just really should. Off. Yeah. Yeah, you're in the you're 100%. in the wrong place. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the same. I can't. I think most English people can't really deal with heat, and I, I, that's partly because our country's not well set up for it, but maybe it's dispositional, or maybe we're just big crybabies. That's also quite possible. But um, as you were saying at the start of the podcast, a lot of things are on fire. That obviously is a, mm-hmm. a glib internet phrase, but it is, is, is true now. I mean, bits of various bits of Greece have just been... This is actually... This was the way that a lot of the kind of so it's been called the global boiling isn't it um and the way oh yeah that's what we have to rebrand it to yes the global boiling i find not good maybe the global grilling the global simmering perhaps yeah boiling it feels quite final (laughs) it feels too liquidy do you know what i mean oh i see um Mm. Yeah, we, we we can work on that, but um, I think the the yeah. main way. So so I, I have seen these stories and the you know what the the UN guy said. Oh, you know another one of these like recommendations, like this is our last chance to act, um, kind of thing. Which I'm not saying is untrue. I'm just saying that it is a story that we've we've heard many many times over the last decade and, and beyond. Um, the main way this I feel this story was covered, at least in publications like the Times, was about British holiday makers being inconvenienced or having their holidays cancelled uh, because bits of Greece were on fire. That seemed to be one of the main... Isn't it always the way? The main, main line of inquiry. Uh, and, you know, it's a British newspaper and that story was obviously very relevant to a lot of people who were you know, going to you know various parts of the Mediterranean, for example, for their mm-hmm. holidays. 
um it is a little bit myopic i think it's it's fair to say i actually feel like like there is some some of that puerile um way of covering these stories but i think that there is also a convention especially in the printed media to cover these things in that particular way like it makes the story more human more tangible mm. i think arguably actually it's quite an effective way of being able to to frame like a big existential crisis that the world is going through yeah yeah into something like this is how it's going to affect my day-to-day life and British people love their fucking holidays. Yeah. Um, and so I don't really have a problem with that. There is... Uh, GB News are being <laughs> fantastic at platforming people who are saying that um, uh, all of these temperatures and these wildfires are all fake news. Um, and that worries me. So I, I, would, um, I would just like to point out, and I, I think we were discussing this where the bike wasn't... Don't you uh, dare. Turned Stop off. this. Don't you don't don't at me like this in well, front well, of the kids. Well, no, I, I have to do it now. Otherwise, people people would know. But Jazza was informing oh, no. me that when he types in, uh, looks up British news stories, he's almost always recommended links from GB News, and this doesn't happen to me. Like honestly, this mm-hmm. like I get linked by you know to quality newspapers like the Times or the Guardian or the Financial Times. You know, highbrow mm-hmm. intellectual stuff, and Jazza's just yeah. getting sent like mm-hmm. you know the Daily Star, um, GB News. Yeah. Other slightly dubious sources, basically. I, mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. Talk I, TV. Yeah, I, I don't know what that says about your search habits, Jazz. <laughs> mm-hmm. It says, fuck you, Jimmy Nichols. Um, <laughs> but it's... Um, uh, uh, yeah, maybe I, in my defence, it's it's research. Um, <laughs> Looking up all the best, most reliable sources. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, but we... I feel like you can tell me I'd be curious if you think that this is the case as well. I feel like there has been a shift in people's normal people's engagement with this story where they are experiencing and have experienced summer after summer of heat that we are not used to in the UK. Um and so anybody who says that climate change isn't happening and are climate is is uh uh being affected um it's literally happening right in front of people's eyes and so there has to be a particular level of uh delusion for people to be like it's it's totally normal it's fine because we're seeing the consequences and literal things on and literal like Parts of our continent on fire, and parts of the UK have been on fire as well. But. Yeah, I, I don't have polling in front of me, but yeah, my my sense is that in the UK at least, climate change denial, or you know, the denial that human activity is a, a significant factor in climate change, has has largely disappeared. So, I mean, there's still there's still certain that there's a there's a Tory pressure group. I can't remember what the name of it is, but. Um, I think it's got, it's got something like net zero in the name in the way that, you know, a lot of organisations will name themselves in misleading ways. Um, but it's kind of a, it, it's seen in some ways as a follow-on to the European Research Group, which, um, you know, campaigned for the hardest possible Brexit during uh, negotiations on, on the UK leaving the EU. Um, so those groups do exist, for sure. Um, and there are, I'm sure there's various like lobbying efforts going on in Westminster, um, right now that are, are trying to push like 
policies that won't mitigate climate change uh, for various financial and commercial reasons. But yeah, your, your average person on the street, I think it is, it is just undeniable at this point. Um, so the yeah. and most people support stuff like um, initiatives to have more green energy and all of those kinds of things and pivoting to kind of like the 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 concrete action uh, that is happening in London at the moment that uh, we think caused the Uxbridge seat to be retained as Tory. Uh, I, d- I, I, expansion... I don't think it, that was exactly the cause behind it. I think it was a factor, but. It's not quite. I think it was thing. the biggest fact. That's that seems like the consensus. What else do you think it was? I mean, so the uh, as we were kind of saying, Boris Johnson he quit his Uxbridge parliamentary seat and it went to a by election. And there were there were big questions whether Labour could take it because just psychologically managing to take Boris Johnson's former seat would have been a real boost to the party. In the event the Tories managed to retain it by about five hundred votes. Um, Somebody pointed out that green voters were actually if they, they had all voted Labour, then Labour would have won. Yeah, yeah, they were like they were. At but least we a, have we have a first past the post voting system, and that's not how it works. I, I think there are about a thousand green voters. Um, so, mm-hmm. so you know, yeah, they, I mean, I assume most of them would probably have preferred a, a Labour candidate to a Tory candidate. Uh, so, and the thing is, you know, <laughs> I'm going to go back to the Brexit debate, but when you've got a close vote almost any factor can be argued to have been the deciding factor. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it, it's certainly true that the Tories campaigned heavily against the implementation of ULEZ in Uxbridge. Mm-hmm. That was a big talking point for them. And I, for some reason, I, I guess because a lot of, you know, conservatives oppose um, ULEZ. I mean, that the there have been five conservative councils, four of them in London, one of them Surrey County Councillor, who tried, who legally tried to challenge the expansion of ULEZ from inner London to the whole of Greater London, and that's that's the news that's happened in the last week. Um, and Sadiq Khan has won, has, has beaten off that challenge. But yeah, I, I, don't, I don't. I mean, just think about the average person's engagement in, you know, in in voting for an MP. A lot of people will just vote for the same person they've always voted for. People will be thinking, you know, how do I feel the Conservative government is generally benefiting or not benefiting my life? You know, I'm sure a lot of people would have looked at the Tories and said, oh, they're doing a, a shit job on the cost of living crisis, for example, so I'm going to vote for Labour. I, I, I just, I think it's incredibly simplistic to say, you know, this was a referendum on ULEZ. I'm not saying it wasn't a factor because clearly in terms of the Tory messaging, it was. But I, I don't buy it. I died. And actually, there was still a huge swing to Labour, um, irrespective of um, the fact that Tories managed to retain the seat. Because I, I think there was a pretty sizable majority in Uxbridge in the 2019 general election. I can't remember what it is exactly, but uh, that's obviously withered away now. Um, that's kind of by the by, I suppose. Um, you know, whatever you think about that election, I, I, I think it's been spun slightly in that way. Um, because P- there's still a lot of people who who don't like ULEZ, who don't want it to be expanded. There's a lot of conservatives who feel mm-hmm. that way. Um, because, you know, because despite what we said about uh, most people being on board with climate change mitigation, I guess there's two things. There's the fact that in the Tories, there's a lot of people that don't, don't you know, aren't really willing to actually support climate change mitigation policies. And there's also just a lot of people in London who don't want to be spending more on you know on driving basically who don't like it when it hits mm-hmm. them in the pocket which i you know i can totally understand but um at the same time 
if you drive a car that is creating more pollution, um, I mean, this is kind of a classic economic thing, isn't it? It's a negative externality, um, to use that phrase. So I think, I think it's fair that you're paid, that you have to pay basically a tax in order to drive, you know, in order to cause more pollution. I think that is a, that is a fair, I mean, it's quite a normal policy, really, to actually disincentivize certain behavior by, you know, kind of financially punishing people. Um, basically, so I think Ulos is a good idea. <laughs> it's is where I've come to. Wow, at the end of this, what a uh, what show. a what a walk! <laughs> <laughs> what a walk we just went on. I do buy it into back to the yeah um, back to the uh, the, the, the buy action. I buy I do buy that it was that Ulos was the thing. I don't think that they would have stood a chance hanging their campaign on anything else. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, I Just think from my imp- impressions of it, strategically, um, I think it was astute because ULES is it, it's something that directly affects people. There are certain people living in Uxbridge who are like, well, because of the expansion of ULES, I'm going to be paying twelve pound fifty a day to drive my car um, around. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I can see that some people would have gone. I just don't want to pay that, so I'm going to vote for the Tory candidate, although in some ways it's kind of dumb because the Uxbridge MP has nothing to do with the implementation of ULES. It's a... Yeah, it's a but it's seen select. as a big protest vote, isn't it? I guess so, yeah, but... Um... That's that's what it is, and there has been kind of like... It's brought the, the debate about ULES into, into question, Sadiq Khan is having to talk about it, and actually I think that the conversation around it has been quite good. Um, uh, Sadiq Khan hasn't backed down on it no um it just got uh, uh approved by the high court yeah so it is going to go it is going to go through <clears throat> and i think most people do su- well we know that most people in london and most people support this i mean it's a it's about half based on the stats you said so half people support it yeah a quarter half support it. it yeah which is most uh, yeah, I mean it. Fifty-one percent is most. Uh, is fifty-two percent most? Fifty-two and forty-eight. <laughs> it's fifty-two percent most. <laughs> I think. I just. Uh, I think most is quite generous for just over half. I think. Say just, but it's say twice just, as many people. It's about twice as many people who oppose. And uh, you know, now now we're into the lies, damn lies, and statistics uh, thing here. I think. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, listeners can can draw their own conclusions. We've given them the the actual figures. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting the way Keir Starmer's actually been pushed around on this, and I think that the Tories have done a good job of, you know, they've. I think it's Grant Shapps, so I can't remember what his exact job is, but also the Transport Minister have basically said to Keir Starmer that he needs to ask Sadiq Khan not to expand ULES. Um, it mm-hmm. is actually, it's in the gift of Sadiq Khan as as London Mayor. He is the one who decides whether this goes ahead, ahead or not. And as you say, he's he's pressed on with it, despite there being you know a f- massive opposition from the Tories and actually a fair bit of opposition from within Labour, not least from Keir Starmer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't... I guess that Keir Starmer is really trying not to piss off, you know, the average voter or the, whatever the his concept of the swing voter that he's targeting in the next general election is. He's trying not to annoy them, and I can see why. You know, there's definitely there's yeah, def- they're nervous as anything. They're they're walking this tightrope. Yeah, I mean, but I but I think it's just as I said, I'm in favour of the policy. I mean, I'm in favour of the policy, and I don't drive, so I. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so you have. <laughs> God, no. But um... and you're and 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 uh, uh, like, uh, yeah, it, it's. <laughs> I, d- I don't think you're somebody with the sk- with skin of the game. To be. No, but I, I do have skin of the game because I'm living in London. Um, mm-hmm. I've I've got a sure. young, I've got a young child, so as a father. Mm-hmm. I'm concerned about the levels of air pollution. Oh my god, everybody, we've had Jimmy's first ever as a father comment. <laughs> you should get used to it, I think. Um, I'm really think proud of you, It's a powerful rhetorical actually. device. Uh, people respect mm-hmm. my opinion now that they, they know I've spawned. Um, yeah, that's how you, like... Uh, <laughs> that's how it works, <laughs> Like, it? I have... Yeah, you, you now support women's rights because you um, have a partner and a daughter. Um <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say that. Let's not. Uh, you know, don't don't misquote me. But um, no, of course not. <laughs> but anyone who lives in London or who even regularly travels to London is breathing in air that's been made dirty by old cars that are not as you know that pollute more than newer cars. I mean, they're, they're, the air is still being made dirty by newer cars, but just less so. Um, mm. And um, I feel like my lungs are more important than your bank account. Like, sorry, I don't. Interesting. I don't... Is is there an alternative to this argument? I mean, I, I get that some people need a car for practical reasons. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some people, I would say probably... I think actually a lot fewer people need a car than the amount that think they need a car. I'll put it that way. If, if you If you live in London public transport's quite good you probably could adapt your lifestyle there's probably a lot of people bitching and moaning about this particular policy who could change the way they travel and perhaps it would be slightly less convenient for them but also you wouldn't be polluting people's lungs so i think you should just weigh those up in the balance i knew you were an authoritarian deep down is this authoritarian isn't that i mean the, the car is quite yeah, 100%. cars are quite oppressive aren't they like they in terms of you know killing people both directly in car crashes and polluting, you know, uh, damaging people's lungs, making the planet heat up, um, and also just making cities less pleasant places to be in, or any any place where roads have been, like, pushed through things. Um, you know, I think, you know, the cars are quite unpleasant. I, I think we should probably use less of them, is, is mm-hmm. my hot take. Um, cool. So and it is very hot, so the hot take is... Is appropriate. It's hotter. Yeah appropriate take uh do you care about you les you're obviously as a new yorker it doesn't affect you one way or the other but yeah uh, i have terrible i have terrible lungs um because of uh the pollution here anyway i mean literally you can sometimes walk out the door because of the i mean we talked about this um initially as like a climate change thing Mm. i don't know it feels like a little bit like pissing in the wind these kinds of policies everything else feels so much more Everything else that's happening feels so much more urgent um, than the air quality in the bigger cities, you know. I think that the the big changes, the inhospitability of everything, uh, I feel like that's more of a... That's the thing that I worry about more. <laughs> I do, honest, I do I take your point, but, you know, <laughs> while we are dealing with the other climate change problems, we still have to live in these cities. Um, or maybe we don't have to, maybe we could... Yeah, I don't have to. I'm looking. I'm, I'm looking at the Highlands. Yeah, you, yeah, you could move to the Highlands or somewhere with much better air quality. That is an option for mm-hmm. you. But um, people who who do live in these cities want the air to be cleaner on balance. I don't think anyone is pro dirty air. Correct. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I still think it's. Uh, I I do take your point that it's not. It's probably not the biggest factor. And actually, there was an interview in the New Statesman with Tony Blair, where he said, you know, obviously 
Britain has to do its bit in terms of mitigating our, our impacts on the climate. But ultimately, he felt that it would come down to what China did, and I guess what India did does as well um, in terms of mm-hmm. you know their industrialization and, and what they're doing in terms of their energy usage. So, and that's probably true. Like Brit, like Britain is not compared to some of those other big countries. It's not a massive polluter just because we we don't i mean that said i guess the west is quite energy intensive per person but um but yeah i think tony blair is probably right about that uh Mm. so that is a second story that we've basically just dismissed as kind of trivial and not very interesting (laughs) uh luckily this next one is clearly very important so (laughs) jezza how how familiar are you with the 1975 i i am aware of the name i couldn't name you a single song yes i think we have been through this actually um, yeah. So the the kind of the scene setting for this is that they were, as I was saying in the intro, they were out in Malaysia playing the Good Vibes Festival, and, and they put out Bad Vibes. Great joke. They, <laughs> I thought it was a good joke. Um, mm-hmm. As a father, I thought that was a good, a good, good quality joke. Stop that. Um, Stop that. It doesn't give you a license. <laughs> it does actually, but um, <laughs> so. Um, Matty Healy, the lead singer, who is described in several articles I've read as visibly drinking. Um, he was holding. He had a bottle of champagne he, in his hand. Yeah, he? he was. Uh, I didn't actually see him take a swig from it, but he, he, you know, he was carrying with intent. So I, I'm assuming that he was drinking from the <laughs> champagne bottle. <laughs> mm-hmm. And when on this. Uh, this quite weird rant, actually. I, I feel like the, the rant has been somewhat mischaracterized in some of the press I read. I mean, he did say all the stuff about, uh, you know, uh, he can't believe, he's he's in disbelief that the 1975 would be invited to Malaysia while Malaysia had a, a prohibition on homosexuality. Um, weirdly enough, he's he's straight, and I'm not, I'm not sure any of the members of the 1975 are members of the LGBT it's community. Bit, that's unclear to me as well. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, as a band, I understand that they've actually been, you know, quite forthcoming in, in pro-LGBT activism. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they, they do have that history. So it's not, this isn't completely out of the blue, but Matty Healy took it upon himself to, you know, complain about the Malaysian government's treatment of LGBT people. And then he and the bass player had a kiss, as we previously described. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, t- tongue, tongue entering un- into mouth. Yeah, unclear. But the yeah. the end of the rant, which I saw a video for just before we recorded this podcast, is he goes on to complain about the fact that on TikTok there was a, a video or a picture of him holding a friend's child, and then some people accused him of being a paedophile, um, and that really pissed mm-hmm. him off. I'm not really sure where the link is between these two stories. Like it wasn't homophobia, Jimmy. Yeah, but I I think that he was like, he was sort of conflating that personal issue on TikTok with what the Malaysian government's doing. I'm not really sure they're the same. Are they? You you think they're the same story? Uh, I don't know enough about that, but it is very common that um, anti-LGBT folks will use grooming and paedophilia as a way to make people scared of people who are queer and are pro-queer rights. Yeah, that's definitely true. Maybe that's the link that he was trying to make, but um, it, mm-hmm. it sort of the way it came off was it sounded like he had personally had a bad day, so he was going to complain about Malaysian government policy. Um, mm-hmm. Is is the way that it was put across? Um, 
after he did this, they played for another 30 minutes and their set was called, was called short by the organisers and then the government of Malaysia shut down the whole festival um, and... You know, apart from anything else, this and is... now they're being sued by a load of Malaysian artists. Yeah, so Malaysian artists able and, to play. and vendors have started, or they're preparing a class action lawsuit um, against the 1975. Um, so I do, I mean, I feel bad for them, but it is also quite funny to me that the band is being sued over all of this. I, I sort of think they should be sued because they, you know, they did lose a lot of people money who would have made money from performing or from selling food or whatever else at the the festival and i i think in that discreet sense this was it was quite shitty behavior from the band um what what do you make of the story as a whole they should have not performed yeah really yeah if your values are not um do not align with the people who have invited you to perform and you have a problem with that then you should not perform. And so I don't really understand how this ended up happening. And I think that the consequence of this is it felt like a really unthought out protest. Peter Thatchell, I think somewhat misguidedly wrote a piece in The Guardian about how this raised awareness around LGBTQ plus rights in Malaysia. And I think a lot of people who are from Malaysia and in the LGBTQ plus community have now said how they'd rather um, Healy had not done so in this he, way. Thank you yeah, very much. Yeah, that is that is definitely the general tenor of, of, of those, those people's view. If you are, there are ways to be an, I don't know, Mr. Healy's orientation. He's, but he, he, I am he, assuming, he's confirmed he's straight. And he's, he, I am assuming allyship rather than um, any direct affiliation to the queer community um, I, I think that's there are ways to be there are ways to be effective allies and getting drunk on stage in a muslim country and then snogging your bandmate when you know that there are rules and laws against that kind of behavior is only really eventually going to make things worse for the people there because it shines a spotlight on a community that are very repressed there um, uh, uh, and the only response, the only thing that is going to happen there is that their lives are going to be made worse. Because when you're in a country like that and you're part of the queer community, you have to function under the radar. Mm. As soon as you come up from out, come up from under the radar, that's when your life gets shit. And you even see it nowadays with like trans rights in the UK and in um, the United States, where you can live. Like, as soon as there has been a spotlight on, like, uh, trans identity and uh, uh, trans healthcare, it then gets attacked and scapegoated. And I feel that the same thing is probably going to happen for uh, queer Malaysians uh, now as well. Um, If you, yeah, if you are an artist and you have a problem with the policies of the country that you are performing in or whoever has invited you somewhere, do not go so Healy did actually say at the start of his rant that uh, he'd not done the due diligence before booking the or agreeing to play. Then the shut up. Yeah, I, I think that is true. Um, I think mm-hmm. once he realised that Don't was the do case, your due diligence when you're like two bottles down. Da- um, I don't know how drunk he was. <laughs> don't do your due diligence like just before you're on stage when you're, and then you're already on stage and then you go on a little bit of a rant. I think that... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I don't think this is particular. I don't think he was... 
this is a really fucking stupid thing to do. Yeah, I, I would I would agree. Well, I'm glad we sorted that out. That's, uh, that's good. Yeah, that's a, a note of agreement. That was that was uh, yeah, that was actually really easy. Yeah, that was that was quite straightforward. Um, mm-hmm. uh, how do you feel? No, I'm gonna. Yeah. Oh my god, there's so many people with small penises driving around on their motorbikes today. I'm so sorry, <laughs> listeners. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the CNN? Is the headline that I'm thinking of? They went with the white. How um, Healy was accused of being a white savior. Um, as a white savior, Jimmy. <laughs> some, as someone who saved me many a time. Uh, what do you think about that framing? Here we go. I decided to open this up and make it more interesting. Good job. Um, I don't. It, it, I mean, is criticizing somebody for being a white savior particularly helpful? In any way, I mean, I can see where they're coming. I think it is descriptive of the phenomenon, but what, it is a bit name calling. What, what, what do you, what do you think? What do you think it means then? Where, when somebody says, "Oh, Matt, you know, Healy is just a white, sa- he's just got a white savior complex, or he's a white savior, or he's behaving like a white savior." What, what does that mean in this? Particular I think the instance? white savior thing is when is when a white, especially somebody from the West, especially a white person, parachutes into. Um, a different culture that they do not understand and assumes uh, uh, parallels to their own culture and expects parallels to their own culture and goes in and tries to almost in the way that like it's it's a mirroring of the uh, the way that missionaries would go into um, uh, areas and and claim to be civilizing them with Christianity like mm. that's kind of like the uh, the the image that conjures up for me and i think that kind of is that i think that kind of does describe what healy did because yeah, i feel oh, like he thought he knew what was best for the local people he probably if he wanted to do something he should have sat down with someone shouldn't he that, anyway that is what a lot of um, queer activists in malaysia have, have basically said that if he wanted to make a gesture he should have should have consulted basically rather than just going on a, a slightly tipsy rant um Mm-hmm. I do. I, I would go back to the whole because I agree with the description that you've just provided of, of Healy. I think that is exactly how he behaved. But white savior as a phrase does kind of risk putting people's backs up. I think um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What, I don't know what phrase you would actually come up with, but it 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 sort of reminds me a bit of the phrase toxic masculinity, which you know does describe a real phenomenon um, among men, but is a phrase that that puts people's backs up and i think actually makes them less amenable to what you're saying because it because it mm-hmm. is an insult basically um and i i think if you're trying to be insulting it's quite effective but if you're trying to persuade somebody not to behave in a certain way or try and try to bring somebody around to your way of understanding i think it's probably an obstacle rather than something that's useful mm-hmm. but it does make for a good headline so i do have to great headline that. i clicked on it yeah um mm. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think I'm. But maybe you know something like I don't know liberal missionary. I mean, that's in in some ways that's actually more you know not missionary. Uh, well, you use that use the phrase j- just in your description. I think it's exactly. No, I accurate. think I'm thinking of something else. Oh, I see. Uh, mm. <laughs> <sighs> we were trying to have a nice serious discussion about LGBT rights in Malaysia <laughs> and your mind is just in the gutter. 
Um, yeah, it's why we shouldn't have rights. Um. <laughs> you talk about gay people or podcasters? Or both? I think both, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a double mi- minority, Jimmy. <laughs> I mean, probably not in New York. I would imagine most people have podcasts there. Every, yeah, most people have podcasts in New York. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You, you found your people. It's good. Um, okay, should we should we wrap this up here? Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Just to say, uh, uh, to remind you again, we're going to be talking about the Twitter logo rebrand and the shit show that is Twitter at the moment in our bonus episode. That's only going to be available for our wonderful patrons. You can go to patreon.com and search for Right Dishonorable and, and find us there. Chuck us a bit of money. You can start donating for as little as a dollar an episode, okay. which is very cheap. It is, yeah, and uh, given the rate at which we're putting out episodes at the moment, it's exceedingly cheap. Yeah, it's it's like $12 a year, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Come on now, you can do it. All right, go ahead and do that. We'll we'll see everyone else next time. Bye. Bye.